0: Here we are, um, second week of the year, and the Lord is interrupting us. Everybody say, interrupting. interrupting. Say it a little better. Say, interrupting. interrupting. And so, we had a series planned, Jeff and I, and put our minds together last month sometime and said, all right, this is what we're going to preach on. Got house churches coming. We're going to do this, that, and the other. And... Uh, by, I think probably by Monday, I was pretty clear that this is not what the doctor ordered, what the Lord is ordering. And so by the time we talked about it on Wednesday, we, we both felt like God is shifting something in, in terms of even what we're preaching right now and what we need to be sharing. And, um, and so we're just going to go with the Holy Spirit. Is that okay? We just go with the leadership of the Lord. Um, and, and so what I need to do is I need to just um, give us a little bit of Backdrop and context as to what's happening right now, because something's happening. The Lord's doing something. We're in a we're in a special moment. We're in a unique moment, and I'm going to understate it rather than hype it. But I will say it's it's special. And so, um, I would say for about the last month, maybe maybe six weeks, we've really felt an uptick, an uptick of the activity of the Lord in our services, in the prayer room. Um, in our private times of prayer, I'm talking about uh, myself and the leadership team across the mission base and, uh, and the pastoral team. And, and so we've been kind of just like, Lord, what are you doing? We want to hear what, what, what you're doing with us right now. We want to be attentive and sensitive. And so it feels like we've been um, divinely set up, like the Lord has been just piece by piece by piece setting us up for something that uh, we don't necessarily know exactly what he's going to do, but we know that he's he's moving by his Spirit. And so we feel this divine setup. And so um, I would say probably about a month ago, uh, I was feeling strongly that the Lord wanted us to create environments in, in our house that we would give more room for the Holy Spirit to move. You know, Sunday morning, we're a little constrained with time, children's ministry... We've kind of got to get in and and get out in a short period of time, or it's going to be Armageddon back in the children's classes, and we don't want that. Armageddon means kids start blowing up, and uh, and so we're pre- We've been praying about how do we do that? How do we facilitate uh, more room for the Holy Spirit? And so we've just kind of had that in our hearts and just carrying that forward, knowing that God was doing something special in our midst, and. And then <clears throat> I had mentioned last week, uh, I went to a conference. I went to a couple conferences in December. I was taking some time just to rest and seek the Lord. And the Lord began to encounter me in special ways. And, and then we had um, last Sunday morning, uh, in fact, the last several Sunday mornings, the Lord's been moving powerfully. I think when, when I was gone in Kansas City, the Lord was encountering us here powerfully. I saw some picture of Andrew Fleddy, the drummer out here, prophesying on the stage. And so I think when the drummer's out from behind the drum kit, you know. God's moving, and uh, and and so things were happening, and and uh, and then Dustin and I were in Kansas City at a conference, and we were getting in, uh, touched by the Lord, and then um, uh, last Sunday morning the Lord began to move and touching people, and then we last Sunday night we were many of us went to uh, Christ Fellowship in Dawsonville, the North Georgia revival, the, and if you weren't there, I'll just give you the, the picture: the room seats about. 900 or a 1,000, and about 300 were from uh, New Bridge IHOP, from our our spiritual family. And they baptized, I think, like 250 people, and probably about 125 of them were us. (laughs) Basically, they did a service for our church, basically. And I spoke. It was almost like we had service at their facility. But... Uh, the The presence of the Lord was uh, powerful and and many got um, dramatically encountered by the Lord, so several hundred went to the meeting at the revival, several hundred uh, or over a hundred I would say got baptized and then um, and, and the Lord was encountering people in dramatic ways and and i, I won 't say anything much more than that except for he 's radically dramatically encountering people. And then we went into our three-day fast, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And probably several hundred of us um, engaged in that three-day fast um, in the prayer room. But by Monday afternoon, it was evident the Lord was resting on us in a plus kind of a way. I'll just say it that way. More than usual, uh, the Lord's presence was resting there on us in the prayer room and um, somewhere Monday afternoon, I'm not gonna give all the detail and and maybe we'll talk about it some tonight, but uh, Dustin and I began to get powerfully encountered by the Lord and uh, with me, I was primarily just weeping. And we spent uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday just in this uh, encounter with the weight of the Lord's presence upon us, Gabe and Jeff and Stephen Eugen and others a part of our leadership team, really experiencing a I would just say a refreshing of the Lord and what it looked like for me was lots of tears and lots of repentance, just coming back to my first love, really coming back to my first love and and realize and and you know I know I know I preached on Mary and Martha last week I, I get it. And then I preached on it again last Sunday night. And then by Monday, I was actually realizing that everything I'd preached last Sunday was for me. That's a scary place when you're the preacher. You think, I'm going to preach a message. They're all going to get hit by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord's like, I'm about to hit you with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you a little karate chop yourself. And um, and so for real, I would say uh, this week, it's been one of a handful of my favorite moments with the Lord in the last 25 years. I mean, and it was, it's, been, it's, been not, it's been weighty. It hasn't been, man, can you really tell? I mean, it's been weighty, the presence of the Lord. But it's been a, a deep thing God's doing in us. And I would say it's primarily, well, it's just primarily around the three things we mentioned last week. First, love with Jesus, returning to his feet, to hear his voice, pushing away the distractions and the busyness of life to set before the Lord to hear his words, and then remembering who we are as a people called to prepare the way of the Lord. You know, the the bride is called to call the earth to readiness. And I'm not talking about storing up food. I'm talking about Jesus the king is coming back and we're not ready for him. There's a rising crisis of sin in the earth, and oftentimes, like I talked about last week, the church is like the, the proverbial frog in the kettle, and we have to be alert and watchful in this hour, so I'd say that's the second point, point. and then the third point is around this, this, um, this really the second commandment, so first commandment, being, and then being a forerunner people, and then loving one another as ourselves, like really being the family of God. And uh, some of the things the Lord highlighted, I would just say to me, stuff I mentioned last week, but really went deeper with, was how we look at Jesus as an opportunity for our own betterment, how we use Jesus to increase. and But John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. Uh, and what we think about is, and Dustin said it so well, we were praying this morning, he said, oftentimes we think he must increase, and praise God, I get to increase with him. And that's really, I think, Amer- Americanism. And that's really the, the spirit of the age and the spirit of our nation in the church, because we want to all get our blessing we all want to prosper. We all want to see Jesus as a ticket to our own advancement. And he never preached the gospel that way. He said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, you will need to die in this equation if you're going to follow me. And, um, you know, he, he, he said many things. He said, I, I came to bring a sword. And, and, and so oftentimes we look at Jesus as as our way that we're going to get better, we're going to get blessed, we're going to advance, we're going to get our, you know, the, the new job or the new house or the new car. And Jesus just wants us to come to that place of love. where we're not loving him for what he can do for us, we're loving him. You know, he just wants to reduce us to love. And then when you begin to sort of, drink in the love of God, you start realizing the towering implications of his love towards us, that he's so great and he's so pure and he's so perfect and we're so broken and we're so needy and that we, we view things so often our, through our own lenses, trying to posture things for ourselves, trying to get things for ourselves. And the entire time he's just saying, would you just come to me? Just come to me. Just look me in the eye, come to know who I am, and your entire perspective on life will change. And I used this phrase last week, but man, the Lord just, again, like I said, I preached the whole messages last Sunday just for myself, I think. But he just nailed this issue of toiling for validity. That we, we live our lives working and working and working, trying to prove to others that we're valid, that we're lovable, that we're reasonable, that we're not crazy, that we're, we're reasonable. And uh, I'd say that has been a... I'm just being honest, if you guys can handle this. That's been a huge wrestle in my own soul. I don't want to... I mean, I'm already crazy because I'm the house of prayer guy. Like, I mean, I did jump that hurdle a while back. But if we could just be a reasonable house of prayer... You know, see, we're not really those crazy people. We, we just, we're reasonable. And I, I think our, our reasonable, our desire to be reasonable is really just a religious spirit. Just want to fit in, look like everybody else, don't stick out too bad. It's really the same pressure that people come under when they fall into uh, to sin in the world. They, they don't want to look extravagant for Jesus, so they just go ahead and look like the crowd, you know. but These are things the Lord's digging up in my own soul. My own ambition. See, and these are things I felt like I've dealt with years ago. Like I don't have any ambition. I walk in an empty prayer room, praying to a God I can't see most of the time, hearing the same songs over and over and over. Dear Jesus, those worship leaders, God bless them. They do two hours, two hours, two hours, two hours. So this guy doesn't know what this guy did. This guy doesn't know what this guy did, and they all do the exact same song. Do you know how many times I've heard "New Wine" this week? Quite a few. <laughs> I love it. I've already got it memorized you are like, what's that new song, that new one? I'm like, oh, dude, I already got that one all down. I could close my eyes and sing the whole thing. But you know, I think, oh, I've dealt with my ambition. He goes, no, no. You're looking for me to increase and you to increase with me, son. And you just don't realize that when I increase, you will decrease. You must. For me to increase, you must decrease. This is where the Lord's dealing with us. This is what the Lord's doing in us. I, I, I'm, I'm only sharing in part because I can only share from my lens, but I'm watching Jeff get encountered by the Lord. I'm watching Dustin and Gabe and Stephen and different ones in our midst just get radically, radically encountered by the Lord. He's drawing near. And the Lord said to me, I heard this phrase. He goes, if you want church as usual, just act like it's business as usual. But if you don't want church as usual, then don't act like it's business as usual. Because we'll go on either side of the ditch. On one side of the ditch, we hype it up. God's moving in a way. It's global thermonuclear revival right now. You know, it's like, I don't know, but man, he said everything was gonna blow up, and I came in, I just kind of felt the Lord a little bit. You know? And then on the other side, we're like, oh, nothing to see here. Well, it's like, what's wrong with Dustin? Well, nothing to see. He's fine. And just act like there's nothing going on. And if you want to quench it, act like it's not happening. And if you want to quench it, act like every little spark is a bonfire. I'm under the fear of the Lord. because I've I've touched his the hem of his garment a couple times in my life and he ministered and moved in the ministry that I was a part of for extended periods of time in profound ways and when he's come he always comes and it's him he doesn't come with everybody else <laughs> he just comes and it's every knee bowing to Jesus, and it's every eye on Jesus, but in each of those times, it was also times where that that evidence of his manifest presence, he came for a season, and and then he kind of drew back again, and it's made me so hungry. You know, it's what he does in Song of Solomon chapter 5, again under the plug for the class, he actually pulls back from her and she hasn't done anything wrong he just wants to deepen the hunger and love that's inside of her and that idea that absence makes the heart grow fonder it's really true but i've had these two seasons in my life where the lord encountered us moved in power <clears throat> 9 months at a time and i'm just so hungry to not do church as usual Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been in a revival? You ever been in an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? It's kind of like if I cooked up a brand new dish and served it to you, and you'd never eaten it before, and you take a bite, you go, whoa, this is amazing. And, And then the guy next to you goes, oh, I don't know, I've never had that before. And that's the problem. It's so hard to describe it to the guy that's never had it. But I would just say this, in revival, he's so near. He's so near. And that's the reason why I want it, because I want his presence. I don't want revival for the crowds. I don't want revival for the healings. I don't want revival for the salvations, though all those happen in revival. And I really want Jesus to get the reward of his suffering. But I want revival because in revival, he pours himself out, and he's like this far from you. And we, we, we touched something this week. And when he's that far from you, your perspective changes. You see things through a different lens. You don't see him through your little carnal lens. You don't see him through your how, what can I get from God lens or what do I got to do lens or how can I, how can I you know, work this thing out lens. You just see it from Jesus. Jesus is here. Let me get my face down. Am I making any sense? Some of you are like, well, no, well, it's okay. We're asking the Lord to deepen this work among us. And we're committed to firstly and mostly loving Jesus and hosting his presence in everything we do. That's how we want to be. And so. Because there's something stirring, something happening, and and, and I like it that we're not all shouting right now. I like it that there's a little bit of a, a sense of a holiness in the room right now. But because of that, we're gonna shift how we do Sunday nights. I'll just tell you that right now. We've we've made a decision among our leadership team. We're gonna shift Sunday nights and we're just gonna make room for the Holy Spirit. We're gonna invite the Holy Spirit to come and have his way. We're not gonna run it business as usual. Now we're always open to a Holy Spirit interruption. Like come Holy Spirit right now and blow us all up. I'm happy for that and touch the children's ministry while you're doing it. <laughs> you know if the children are all getting touched and then we're stuck with, you know, and here hey whatever, then you just got to go with it. Uh but uh Sunday nights we've just decided that we're just going to make room. We're going to we're going to lift time frames. We're going to we're going to have a a, a, a general idea of what we want to do, but we're coming together as a leadership team. We're going to pray before the services and really just give the service to the Lord. Whatever you want to do, Lord, do that on Sunday night. And so um, it'll be different. It'll be a different service than what we do on Sunday mornings, first and second service. Um, it'll just be one of these moments where we just say, here we are, we want you, to do whatever you want to do. We're going we're gonna to give room for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, for the activity of the Holy Spirit to move. We're going to give room for extended times in worship. Uh, we're going to give room for impartation and prayer in a way that we haven't. And we're just going to ask God to be God and do whatever God wants to do. And, and, and it, it's funny. I was writing down just a few thoughts like, what, what do we want this to be like? And it's, it's, a, it's a service where we give room to Jesus, where we come together to just focus and adore Jesus. Uh, we, we remove the, the time constraints. And then I was going to say, it's a hunger service. And I went to type it, and I typed it, and I closed my eyes. It's a hunger service. And then when I look back at what I had typed, I had typed, it's a hard hunger service. It's a service for people that have a hard hunger in their hearts for the Lord. And so I want to invite you, you know, Sunday mornings, we're going to continue to have a worship and teaching and, and the flow of the Holy Spirit, but Sunday nights, we're just going to, we're going to open it up a little bit more, and we're just going to see what the Lord will do. We're not making any promises. We don't know. Do you know? Uh, uh, we're just going to say yes, and we feel this is the leading of the Lord, so we're just going to say yes. So uh, that's what we'll be doing on Sunday nights. I think I've covered kind of what I wanted to cover. I'm going to teach a Bible message. Would that be good? Um, We're going to emphasize first love. We're going to emphasize sitting at his feet and hearing his voice. We're going to emphasize living with urgency for the hour, with holy hearts, being a, a bride that's preparing the way and prepared for the coming of the Lord. And we're going to walk... And free-hearted love and honor with one another. And Stephen Eugen gave us a word this week that I thought was so powerful that if we don't honor people the way that God sees them, we we will inhibit ourselves from being able to receive the gifting of God in them. If we don't honor people the way that God sees them, then we will inhibit ourselves from being able to receive the gifting of God in them. And he used the example of Jesus when he was in his own hometown, how he could do not many mighty works there because they didn't honor him. And Amy Lyle brought this up last week. She actually, Amy Lyle preached a little sub-message last Sunday night that was like off the hook. I, I can't wait till she preaches a message here. Glory to God. But, uh... Just about how honor and faith work together and how when we don't honor the gift of God in someone, we're not able to have faith for the gift of God in them, and and the Lord, just He'll just hold that gift back. We're not able to receive the gift that God puts in others. We're going to love one another. We're going to honor one another. We're going to be like family, but we're not going to get too familiar. Do you know what I'm saying? We're going to be like family where we know one another and care for one another deeply, but we're never going to go, oh, that's just so-and-so. You know, they just this way. You don't know. In, in 10 minutes, God can take whatever they just are and completely change that. Yes. Yes. He can completely do a, a work in somebody. I mean, one minute in the the unadulterated presence of the Holy Spirit can take somebody and completely change them around. We're going to call the gift of God out of people. We're going to see the little seeds that are beginning to bloom in people and call those up instead of seeing them as, oh, that's just little so-and-so. They're just always like that. No, we're going to see God come and move up out of people. We're going to honor people for who God says they are, and we're going to receive the gift of God through the body. Amen. Through the body. Okay, let's do this. Let's turn to Mark, chapter 14. And I'm going to talk about Mary Bethany again. If you're one of these people that needs to know everything that's going to happen, and I just need to know exactly what it's going to be like, I would just encourage you, just hang on. Just hang on. We've got a little of that in our leadership team, and we're all just having to repent. He's not so interested if we understand what he's doing. He just wants our attention. Do you understand that? He just wants our attention. Abraham had no idea what he was doing. Just think about that. Get up, Abraham, and come out to a land that I will show you. I always, That little phrase, I will show you, means he's leaving before he knows where he's going. You ever packed everything, sold your house and packed everything, got it all in the U-Haul and began to drive and said, okay, God, show me. That's the father of our faith, right? He's He's got his son Isaac. He's going to go do a sacrifice, he's going to, the. I mean, he's walking up the mountain, he's got the implements to sacrifice his son, I mean, he's like, come on, Jesus, any moment, I don't completely understand this, but do you understand, faith is not about always understanding it, half of us, our desire to always understand, have everything just in line, it's really just a spirit of fear and control. I just mean that I mean I mean that in the nicest way, but it really is our desire to control everything and have to know where every little piece goes and what's it going to be like so often that's not the Holy Spirit. you know John three it says, them that are born of the spirit they're like the wind, you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going, so are they that are born of the spirit. I'm not saying you never have a plan. But I'm saying that everything that we do should be subject to the leadership of the Lord. It shouldn't just be us making our plans, asking God to bless them all the time. Does that make sense? I'm asking the Lord some hard questions. I mean, seriously, I'm just asking him. I'm like, do you like our services? Do you like how we do them? Would you like us to do them differently? Is there a better way to do them? What, what, what would you consider a good service, Jesus? <laughs> Isn't it kind of odd we do church like we're pros and we've never asked the Lord, how would you like us to do this thing? Yeah. Isn't that a little odd? Because yeah. then you have to just come down to it and go, who are we doing this for? Yeah. We're doing it for us. We're doing it for him. I want to do it for Him. Amen? I want to do it for Him. I want church the way He wants it. I want our spiritual family the way He wants it. I want our services the way He wants it. And I know He allows us to express ourselves in it, but ultimately I just want it for Him. All right, are you in Mark 14? Two people? Let's do our Bible study. Mark 14, verse 1, After two days it was the Passover, And the feast of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone or leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good, but me you do not have always." She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And in the notes, I put the two other passages where this is parallel. It's told in Matthew 26 and John 12. And they, the other two um, gospel writers give a few more details about it. Of course, this is Mary of Bethany. This house is Simon's house. He's a friend of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Um, we find that Lazarus is actually also there at the table with them. And uh, one of the gospel writers says that she poured the oil out, and, and to say on the head, and the other one says all the way onto the feet, and that she wiped his feet with her hair and her tears. And so this oil covered him completely, and she's down there on his feet, cleaning his feet off. Very similar to what Mary Magdalene had done, but it's a completely different thing. Now, this experience, uh, this moment of worship is, is really, really interesting. Um, this, she's got a box with this vial in it, and this box is made out of alabaster, and this vial is made out of spikenard, and this spikenard, what it is, it just is pure, unadulterated nard. And what you find is that Bethany is a little bit of a, it's like kind of a small little town just outside of Jerusalem, and and you can walk to and from it. And so Jesus was staying there as he was going into Jerusalem the last week of his life. He was going back and forth from Bethany. And, And what you find out is there's no way this country girl Mary from little old Bethany was gonna have money to get this spikenard. Like, it had to have been a dowry. It had to have been what she was gonna use for her marriage, uh, where they would have to give a, a, a bridal price. And, and so the other thing is there's, there's nowhere around there that they were selling spikenard and alabaster boxes. She actually had to go and shop this up and find this, and then bring this back. And there is a preparation of what had to have happened in this moment, because there they are. They're having a meal. Simon and Lazarus are at the table. All the disciples are there. One of the other gospel writers tells us that Martha was there serving. And and this time, it's not a problem. She's serving with a happy heart, I think. And, And then Mary, she is going to pour this vial out on Jesus. And so there's like four groups in the passage. There's the living testimonies, that's Lazarus and Simon. See, Simon was a leper, but he's not a leper anymore because lepers don't have dinner parties. And so he's been healed of his leprosy, and there's Lazarus who's raised from the dead. That's a cool dinner. You got all the disciples, you got Jesus, you got Mary, you got Martha, you got Lazarus and Simon. I mean, it's just like the coolest dinner that's ever been given. But these guys are testimonies of God's power, his love, his grace. They're testimonies of the deity of Jesus. There they are at the table. Well, well, there's another group. There's religious leaders, and the, the passages all tell us that the Jews, when they'd heard that Jesus was there in Bethany, they were figuring out a plot. That's when they started the plot. How can we kill him? We're going to arrest him and kill him. How are we going to do it? And I believe it's John even tells us, and they were thinking, how do we kill Lazarus too? You see, what we see in those guys is that religious spirit that just chokes out anything that's the life of God. I mean... And, and, and be clear, the religious spirit isn't primarily about they should have gone five minutes longer in worship. The religious spirit is about shutting the mouth of the prophets and killing them. That's what the l- religious spirit is. It's about killing Jesus. It's about killing Stephen. It's, it's, about, it's about killing Elijah. That, re- remember, when Elijah had to run away from Jezebel, she was going to murder him. This is the religious spirit. It's not some nice little thing. When you see the religious spirit choking out the life of God in, in, in the supposed church and the people of God, I'm telling you, it's not just so that they have bad services or whatever. It's to kill people. I remember I went in a church, and I think it's still there. There's this church in Mexico City in the center of Mexico City in the town center. You go in there, and there's Jesus, and they have Jesus in a casket, It's not just a crucifix. It's Jesus in a casket. What is that? That's the religious spirit. It's the most nasty thing. It's the ugliest looking depiction of Jesus too. This glass casket, dead Jesus. I'm like, that ain't my Jesus and he's not in a casket. But that's what the religious spirit wants to do. It wants to choke the life out of you and kill you. Well, then you got this other group. You've got the disciples. And then you've got this other group. You've got the extravagant. And let me talk about the extravagant first. So the extravagant, we would say, well, that's Mary. And I would say, yeah, it's Mary, and it's Mary and Jesus. Because she only gets her extravagance from the one who is extravagant. In other words, she pours out her whole life on Jesus, and he says, yes, it's good. Think about that. He's right in there with her in the extravagance. He's right in there with her in this outpouring of love and affection and devotion. He's right there in it affirming her. And I would even go this far as to say she couldn't have done that unless he was already like that. Do you see what I'm saying? It's his love that compels us to love. She was loving him back as a response of his love. Does that make sense? So there there they are this 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 extravagant people of love and worship and and Mary is doing the most awkward thing. Have you thought about how awkward that is? She's walking in all these men everywhere, her sister's serving. She gets her dowry money, goes and buys this spike nerd, comes and brings it back. She's probably thinking, he's been talking about having to die. I may have no time ever to do this. And he actually even says, she's anointing me for my burial. So she's clearly got something going on in her mind about Jesus leaving. And she goes in front of all these men, now, again, this is still first century Palestine. Like, this is still first century Middle East. This is not like the women are just sitting there hanging out with the men at dinner. For her to step in and bust in is like, Say, did you need something? Why are you here? And then she walks across the room, takes this thing and breaks it open on Jesus, breaks the seal of it and pours it out, and it's going all over him. It's all over him, all the way down to his feet, and the stuff smells. Dustin talked about everybody's cologne this morning. <laughs> this is like filling the room. Have you ever, and maybe you are that guy, so God bless you, but you ever been around the guy that put on like three or four extra squirts of cologne? It's like, whoa, bro, the anointing on you is heavy this morning. You, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes when we go home after church, you hug everybody, and you just smell like everybody. You're like, "Wow, I'm cloned up for the next week." But this was this encroaching kind of a smell. They would take a dab of this and anoint the the, the most honored guest at a, at a at a meal just as a blessing, and it would the fragrance would would. You know, the aroma of it would fill the room. People could smell just a dab. She poured out a whole vial. This thing completely changed the atmosphere. It was awkward. It was messy. I mean, can you see? We're trying to have dinner here, Mary. What are you thinking? I'm trying to have dinner. Like, what are you doing? Pours it all out. It's filled the room. I mean, the smell is overwhelming and it's expensive. It's a year's wage, at least. This was such an extravagant act of worship. It was so overdone. It was so wild and crazy. And she just knew that her whole life, that everything about her whole life was this man, Jesus. She didn't care about a wedding in the future. She didn't care about what anyone else would think. She just poured it out because Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And beloved, that's how we want to be. Where it's just Jesus, not a ministry, Jesus, not a church, Jesus, not a pastoral team, Jesus, Jesus, Can we just pour ourselves? Not a prayer room. Jesus. Jesus. Well, the disciples are the fourth group. The religious spirit's easy to find on the religious leaders, but you can't quite discern it on the fourth group until they start talking. Because they're at the table with Lazarus and Simon. They love what's going on. They love what God's been doing. They've been in on it. They've actually moved in power themselves. The Lord had anointed them. They, they saw sicknesses healed and, and, and all sorts of you know, demons cast out. I mean, they have seen all these cool things. They were in the charismatic church. But when it got beyond what they were comfortable with, when it got beyond their good sense of taste when it got beyond what what they thought should be proper when it got beyond their understanding in any way they i can't believe the language it's pretty pretty crazy they criticized her sharply they were indignant and criticized her sharply, and I would just say the religious spirit is the hardest to identify among spiritual people. But spiritual people can be just as religious as anybody else. You can be you can be religious in your liberty. Some of the most <laughs> religious people are the ones that you gotta hate. Could, could you? You're distracting like half the crowd. Could you stop? What do you mean? I'm free. Well, you don't look free right now. Could you just like take your <laughs> free heart and just 50 people can't see Jesus because of your freedom. And that's just as religious as anything else. But the, the disciples criticized and were indignant. See, when, even when freedom gets exalted, Instead of Jesus, that's religious. But I just, these are the main guys. I think John tells us that Judas is the one that raised the argument. He goes, man, why wasn't this sold? But the other two gospel writers say, no, no, they all all got in on it. Yeah, why wasn't this sold? What is she doing? This is crazy, man. It stinks in here. Like indignant. And they criticize her. And I just look at the whole thing and I just go, Jesus, I don't think I'm, I don't think I have the religious spirit of the Pharisees, but search me that I wouldn't have the religious spirit of the disciples because I just want what he wants, right? And so what we have to do right now, and this is what my call is to us as a spiritual family, is just say, we want to be extravagant. We want to love him well. We want to love him in a way that's worthy of him, and not in a way that makes sense in our minds all the time. David dancing in a diaper running into Jerusalem ahead of the the the, the ark, I mean, that didn't make a lot of sense. And guess what? It popped the religious spirit As soon as he comes dancing in, his wife starts criticizing. You can always find the religious spirit in criticism. Especially when it's criticizing extravagance. It's interesting to note, right after this event, right after this, is when Judas went and sold Jesus out. I think it's Mary's extravagant worship that popped the religious spirit in Judas that ultimately caused Jesus to be crucified. <clears throat> it's interesting to me that the disciples, they weren't upset by Martha's serving. Just think that through for a moment. Jesus just had the convo with Martha hey, you're worried and bothered about everything. It just seems like they might have gone, hey, Martha, why don't you take a break? They weren't worried about that at all. That spirit in the disciples was okay with Martha running around with a distant heart, but not okay with Mary pouring out her love. And beloved, I'm calling us to have hearts that are like Mary. I'm not calling us to weird. I'm calling us to love. Can you hear me? I'm not calling us to strange. I'm calling us to abandoned love. If you're not abandoning your heart to God in love, you don't know what you've been made for. You don't know why you're here. If If pouring out your heart in love to God seems like really strange and odd, I'm telling you, you do not know what you were made for. Because every human has been made to love and be loved by the one who is love. And what we see in Mary is one soul who's come into grips with the truth of why she exists. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is why we exist. Love of Jesus. Amen. I'll end it there. Let's just stand.